Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast. No matter what level runner you are, and whether you prefer road or trail running or both, you will find this podcast informative, motivating, inspiring, and entertaining. We have interesting guests, running-related information, inspirational stories about real runners, and much more. Now, here's your host and a longtime runner himself, Jim Lynch. Well, hello, runners, and happy holidays. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Well, welcome to episode number 39. I'm Jim Lynch, and this is my podcast, Feel Good Running. This is a podcast all about running, and we try to bring inspiration, motivation to all of you listeners and just have a great time. I feature guests that have very inspirational stories, and sometimes I bring you some running news and finish it off with a running quote. Just try to bring you a podcast that you get something out of. You get inspired and motivated. That's my goal. So thank you very much for listening. Well, we only have a week and a half until 2020 is behind us. And as we enter into a new year, 2021, I am hopeful, extremely hopeful as the year progresses, the pandemic will subside and we can all get back to our running groups and enjoy running races again. So I'm putting that out there, all right? I'm putting it out there right now that sometime in 2021, we're going to start seeing some normalcy coming back into the running world and the world in general, all of our lives. Well, I'm very excited because this episode, my guest is the one and only marathon goddess herself, Julie Weiss. And so if you have been running for some time, especially marathons, you may have heard about Julie. She was featured in the 2013 documentary, Spirit of the Marathon 2, where she started her journey to run 52 marathons in 52 weeks to raise funds and find a cure for pancreatic cancer, which her father passed away from. She also has a wonderful book out. It's called The Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. We had a wonderful conversation, and you're going to be able to enjoy that in just a few minutes. All right, runners, I need your help. I really need your help. I am starting something new, and it has everything to do with you. I'm going to be including in the Feel Good Running podcast uh, every Monday, Running Inspiration. It's going to be a five- to seven-minute podcast episode It's not going to be by me. It's going to be by you because your participation is needed. So what this is, I'm looking at the theme and it's basically what has inspired and motivated you to run and and why do you keep going? Why is running so important to you in your life? And when you tell us about that, please include at the very end your favorite inspirational quote that you just love. So how do you do this? Well, well, go to feelgoodrunning.com and click on episode number 39, this episode, and go down into the show notes. And there is a link that you can click on and it'll take you to a spot where you can record up to a five-minute message. All right? And don't worry if you mess up. I can edit it down and make you sound real good. And I ask before you start to leave your first name, where you're from, and how long you've been running. Now, eventually, 
I will have a whole link on the landing page when you go in the feelgoodrunning.com. I'm not sure I'll have it done by the time this episode is released, but you can do it right now at the show notes. And I really, really would appreciate your participation to get this going. You know what? This is all about you and what you say, your words mean a lot and it is going to inspire other runners. And one other thing, if you could share this with your running friends and have them do one too, that would be really wonderful. And the more that we have, the better. And it's just inspiration for everybody to listen to. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet, but I think I might call it Motivation Monday. I don't know. We'll see what the name of it's going to be. But thank you for your participation and involvement. I very much appreciate it. Let's let's do this, all right? Let's do this. Let's make this happen. All right. Now let's get to our conversation with Julie Weiss, the marathon goddess. Now let me tell you a little bit about her again. Back in 2012, 2013, she did 52 marathons in 52 weeks and There's a reason why she did that. Her father, Maurice Weiss, well, he came down with pancreatic cancer. And when he was diagnosed, he passed away 35 days later. Now, there's a whole story before that, and we're going to get into it. We're going to get into Julie's childhood and growing up and, you know, all all the stuff that she did, the life that she led before she found running. And when she found running, she also became closer to her father. The relationship was repaired due to running. He was so proud of her and what she was accomplishing and the enthusiasm that she had in running really made a difference in their relationship. So her running up to that point was for her father. And then pancreatic cancer quickly took his life. And not too long after that, running took on a whole new meaning and a new journey for her. And she ran 52 marathons in 52 weeks to raise funds and awareness for the cure for pancreatic cancer. And she still continues that journey to this day. Now, one thing I would ask you to do in the show notes, there's a link to her book, which is The Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. It goes through her whole adventures of the 52 marathons in 52 weeks a lot of stuff we are talking about, about her childhood and growing up and, um, you know, some motivational um, discussion for those of you who are starting to run or maybe want to run for a cause. Or maybe you don't have quite the self-confidence right now thinking that you can actually become a runner. It's a wonderful book and there's a link to it where you can pick it up. You can get it either as a, a paperback, but it's also an audio form. And she narrates it. And she's got a great voice and she's extremely talented at narration. Could be a future career for her, actually. And so consider picking up her book. It really is a good read. And now that we're in the holidays, what's better than reading or listening to a great inspirational book about the life of an amazing woman and running? I really learned a lot about Julie and got to experience more about her life than just being the marathon goddess. That journey for me was extremely enriching and rewarding. Now you have a chance to to listen to this wonderful conversation that I had with her. And I even had a chance to talk to her husband, David Levine, who told a really wonderful story about how he proposed to her at the LA Marathon. 
So now enjoy my conversation with the marathon goddess herself, Julie Weiss. How's the pandemic been? Uh, how's that been hampering your running? Oh, the pandemic has been very, very challenging, I have to say. At, at first, um, I sort of, I was okay with it because I had just come off doing another 52 races, uh, another campaign I did called 52 Races for 52 Faces. And the LA Marathon, which was on March 8th, was on, uh, I think that was one of the last races. And then the entire world shut down after that. So, you know, I was looking forward to slowing my running down, but not that much <laughs> where, um, so it's been challenging, but I've done a few virtual races and I get out there every morning and I still maintain. Uh, I, I do runs that are um, really truly for my soul just to keep me balanced and happy and inspired and fit, of course. <laughs> well, that's what we have to do, especially during the pandemic and in some ways self-motivate us to get out there and run. Because, you know, I don't know you're involved with the LA Roadrunners, but I don't know if they meet it right now or if they're on hiatus because of the pandemic. Um, but we don't have any running groups here in Denver right now, except for what we put together ourselves of, of a couple people. Yeah, exactly. I think they're meeting in small groups with masks. So yeah, it's different. You know, I know they met this morning and, uh, you know, I, 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 I just run by myself right now. I'm honestly, uh, pretty concerned about, you know, other people and especially my mom. So I, I just run out there by myself or with a friend occasionally, but, uh, we'll get through this. There's hope on the horizon. There's a vaccine out. So it's like, at least there's the end is in sight now. So, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm really happy about that. So we just need to be patient and diligent and safe for the next, you know, uh, probably six months or so. And we'll be out of this mess. That's what I'm targeting. I think our lives are going to get back together in the running world somewhere around the mid middle of next year. Somewhere. Exactly. At least we have more time to train. We have so. a, lot, yeah, a lot more time exactly. to train right now. <laughs> you know, I met you, uh, we talked about it and it was so much fun being with you and David last weekend and by the pier when I was out there and seeing the Skid Row Running Club who were doing the, you know, the bike ride from San Francisco to uh, Los Angeles. But it was fun to get to talk to you for a little bit in person and share a little bit of time together with, with everybody. But I met you in Kona. I don't know what year it was, but it was after I moved to Maui. So it, it was probably around 2014 or 13, somewhere in there. I don't know if you were still on your 52 and 52 journey at that time. And I was talking to my friend the other night and we came down and saw you. I did my 99th marathon in LA in 2014 and you were doing some sort of talk at a bookstore on the Third Street Promenade. So we went down there and it was oh, a... Wow cold night but we went into the bookstore i don't know if it was barnes and noble maybe it was. yeah Good yeah job. i didn't know you were there that's amazing yeah yeah it was upstairs and you know oh, there was some chairs nice. we came in a little bit in a little bit late into your talk and sat down and behaved ourselves and listened to the you know to what you were saying and, and this is before your book came out but so I've known about you for years. I've, you know, watched Spirit of the Marathon too, which you, you were in and um, starting the podcast, you were always on my radar. So I'm so glad I get to talk to you now. It's just awesome. 
So thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad we finally get to connect in this way too. Absolutely. More people. Yeah. Well, I I know the listeners are going to love this. And, you know, I picked up your book, The Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. And um, I I listened to it on audio when I was running. And then I actually got the book because I like to highlight certain things in it and all that. So I, I actually went through it twice. So I know a lot about you oh, and no. I think I, I think I, I want to go back into your, your childhood and kind of start, start back in the back before you even became a runner. Cause I, I've assumed you were a runner for a long time, but actually only since about what, 2007 is when you really got into it. That's right. I did love to run as a kid. I didn't know where it was going to take me at that time. I would just run through the woods and the fields and that kind of thing. And I like to beat all the boys, you know, back in elementary school. But I, I had no idea that I would be uh, doing what I've done so far. You know, it didn't really. It was kind of like a uh, midlife crisis, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I started in my 30s, too. So, yeah, I guess that was a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but but yours took a, a whole different direction than most people. So you're born in Santa Monica. Right. And uh, you weren't uh, very thrilled about going anywhere east of the 405. You love the area where you're in, which, you know, you gave me your tour of the outside, which is beautiful down there in Santa Monica. And uh your father was originally, your family was originally from the East Coast. That's right. My dad was born in, in Brooklyn, actually. And uh, he came over to uh, over to the West Side when he was around five or so. Uh, he had asthma at a very young age. And I think it was the climate that the doctor suggested he come over to the West West Side. And you, you had a pretty musical family. Your grandfather, Sammy, and... Your father, Maurice, were uh, were really good musicians and actually connected in with some pretty famous people. Sammy, the drummer, my grandfather, uh, he was the drummer on the Jack Benny show. And he was uh, pretty famous back in the day, kind of like the Rat Pack part of that group, I think. I don't know. But he was very talented. And my father got a lot of that. He played the drums, the trumpet and the piano. Um, my father's brother, my uncle is also a drummer and, uh, they do big band stuff still. And, uh, so growing up, oh, my sister also is a singer and plays guitar. My mom is a prodigy on the piano and I don't know if it skipped a generation or what. They missed out <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, by, by the way, for, for those that are listening, if you don't know who Jack Benny is, Google him. He was very, very famous back then. Oh, yeah. Jack Benny. So I got the um, I think running was like where I could perform. The marathons were my stage and running became, you know, how I did my show. <laughs> well, you, and you're still doing your show, which is really <laughs> awesome. So going back into younger days, your relationship with your father wasn't really that good. No, unfortunately, we I mean, no, no father daughter relationship is perfect. We we did have our share of troubles for sure. And, you know, unfortunately, it was sort of intergenerational. And my sister and I, um, you know, my we did the best we could. And I know my dad did the best he could. But there's a lot of. Um, I think he was very critical 
was a thing when I was growing up. So um, it was it was difficult. I always wanted to make him proud. And uh, we had a rocky road, that's for sure. But the running definitely helped. But that didn't happen until I was 37. So so growing up as a as a child, it, it was hard. I mean, he's a he was a great father and he loved to take us on adventures and going to China, going cycling through China and, you know, different kinds of um, wild adventures. And, and I think um, he had a lot of good in him and he really did the best he could raising two girls because he had a difficult childhood himself. So every generation, it seems to get a little better. And, um, you know, I, I'm very grateful for the good and all the positive things that he shared with us, because that's how I became who I am today. I'm like walking, you know, in his footsteps, sort of. And he's got some big shoes to fill. Well, I'll but tell I you, used there, to focus on the good stuff. There, there's a lot of um, a lot of those relationships, whether it's father daughter or even father son, that aren't the best during the growing up years that turn into a really nice relationship as you get older. Yeah. And I think that comes with maturity and because uh, in when your book, you, you mentioned that you were a bad girl. You were kind of a rebel rouser and got into things that uh, probably rubbed your dad the wrong way in times. I sure was. And, and, and I am looking back now, I, I see that I was, you know, I was an addict, but I was I was like a love addict. I was looking for love anywhere I could get it, you know, from, from these bad guys who would show me what I thought was love, but it really wasn't love. And, you know, even getting into drugs because I wanted to, I wanted these guys to love me. So I would become, you know, I I would become addicted to, to drugs because of that. And it, it just spiraled down. I mean, I can remember some of the lowest points of my life and even right here on the Santa Monica beach, asking God to help me because I was, I was really, I was really scared and really sad. And so I'm grateful that God did help me, the universe and all of that. And I was able to come out of it and break the addiction. And, you know, we all have a choice where we could, sometimes we don't know, we could just leave at any moment. If we're in a bad situation, you know, I really wasn't trapped and I thought I was, but, um, I, you know, it took sort of a miracle for me to walk out of that life and walk into something new. But day by day, you know, and after a lot of a lot of prayers and meditation and then the running slowly but surely, I, I came out of the darkness. So, yay. <laughs> yeah, yay. And definitely yay, because you found something that could pull you out of that. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of us that have addictions, whether it's love addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever. That's just, uh, you know, how our, how we were raised in our society and the people that we hung around with. But you, you recognized it at a certain point. Now you, you are, uh, you were a young mother. You had your first, your son. When you were 17, 18? That's right. I was. I was pregnant at 17 and I had my son at 18. I graduated uh, nine months pregnant and he is a love child. He's got a picture. They're both, they're all love children. But when he came, when he was born, um, 
my father, he was like the pride and joy of my of my dad. Hi. And now I have my grandchildren who are my pride and joy. <laughs> Say hi. 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 That's great. So that's the best. <laughs> that's that was my granddaughter Amelia. Uh, I'll tell you what, you gotta when you look at that and you start thinking about your past, it's just gotta be just a wonderful feeling for you to see your grandchildren. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And they love to run. So that's the best. They they love so, to run. Well, that's good. Yeah. So my my dad though, when my son was born, um, it was almost like the son he never had, you know, and and uh Frank Frankie, my son. And so uh he was the uh, light of my my father's life when he was born. It was so so special, and um, so being a teenage mom, and then I got pregnant again at twenty two, and I had my daughter Samantha. I I really um, was a young single mom. I uh, you know we I did get married to their dad for a few years, but then. I don't know what happened. It's all a blur. No, <laughs> gotta read my. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> no, have... it's a lot of rocky road. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Exactly. Being a single mom, you know, I just sort of got in to this um, autopilot sort of thing where I was eating too much and not exercising and just sort of stuck in my life and my daily life. I wasn't going anywhere. I, I became very, very depressed and probably gained about 35 to 40 pounds. So I found myself again, hitting rock bottom. Uh, you know, first it was when I left that toxic relationship, but then there's this, um, it was just, it was some bad habits that I picked up along the way. And I, I started taking antidepressants to pull me out of that. And I was very grateful for antidepressants. I know some people, there's a a stigma with that, but I'm grateful because they probably helped save my life at the time. And uh, if you need antidepressants, by all means, you know, they're there to help you. And they helped me. Uh, but it wasn't until running became my new antidepressant. And we'll get into that. But that's what happened. I just became, you know, like going through the motions of my daily life, but I wasn't going anywhere. You know, there was a story um, that you talked about in your book that you were at a low point and you saw all these people that looked very happy and fit and they were running and you uh, you looked at them and you just started crying. I did. I, I'm looking out on the ocean right now and I can see them. Imagine they're running. The, the LA Roadrunners are a big part of my transformation. I would walk my dog, Jesse, down to the beach and I would see thousands of runners. And it was like there was this wall between me and them. And like I couldn't break through and I wanted to be one of them. And but I couldn't. And they were just, it was so beautiful to me what they were doing. Like all of these people training for the LA marathon. And that was just so big to me and felt at the time so out of reach. Yeah. And you cried because you didn't think you were at a low point. You didn't think you would be ever be able to do anything like that or fit in with a group of people like that. Right. But things started to change for you. You know, it's funny because you and I are attached to Hawaii in certain ways. Uh, but you went out on vacation with your 
with your dad and mom and in 2007 to Kauai. And that trip was a life changer for you. That, that trip changed my life for sure. It was, it was going there. I thought, you know, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to change. I'm going to start running. I'm going to, and that first day, um, I think I, I went about a mile, maybe <laughs> if even <laughs> I thought it was 10 miles. I felt like 10 miles, <laughs> but that first day I, I hit the ground running. I was like, <gasps> I felt alive again. And the, the water and the sand and uh, I mean, of course, everything looks better when you're in Hawaii, obviously, but it was so healing for me to be there. And and I got done with my one mile run. I collapsed on the sand and I was just I was so happy. I mean, I was out of breath and I felt like a beached whale and maybe looked like one. But, <laughs> but that's OK. I was like, oh, my gosh, I felt alive again. I felt invigorated by the the ocean and the air. And I was, you know, jumping in the ocean after a run in Hawaii. There's not much doesn't get better than that, you know, but, uh, I started doing that every day on that vacation. I would, you know, I would run a little bit further each day and, and my dad was there and he was so proud of me. He saw me coming, you know, and, and my mom and dad were like clapping for me when I came back. So I, you know, I was making myself, I was proud of myself. My parents were proud of me and I'm like, this is it this is what was missing from my life. And I made a pact to myself that when I got home to Santa Monica, I would continue to run with my dog here on the beach. And um, it was there in Hawaii that I, I, I realized that my new antidepressant was running and I didn't need them anymore. So I flushed them down the toilet and somehow I was okay. I didn't even need to wean myself off of it. The running uh, is, you know, created the new, um, the chemicals that I needed, the serotonin and the dopamine and all that good stuff. So that was uh, such a positive experience and life-changing for sure. You know, sometimes when you go on vacation to a tropical place like Hawaii and you get all this enthusiasm and this revigorating feeling for life, a lot of people come back and they get into their same routine and then that all dissipates. But you didn't. You started running down in Santa Monica and you started running from lifeguard station to lifeguard station with your dog. And then eventually you somehow brought a friend in with you, right? Oh, that's right. I did. I changed her name. Um, what did I call her in the book? We'll go with friend. I, my friend <laughs> and, a, and a great friend because she wanted to do a triathlon. Mm -hmm. So she uh, said, hey, you know, we would, we would, train on the beach. We would run together. Actually, I, some of my neighbors too started running with me and their dogs. So we would get out there before the sun even came up because there is animal patrol out there. You really shouldn't have your dogs out there without a leash. So we would go before anybody else was out there. Um, and then when my friend suggested, why don't we do a triathlon? I was like, um, okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? So I Did you up. even know what a triathlon was I, at that time? I did, but I didn't know like the distances. I didn't really know how this whole thing worked. Um, I don't think I had ever really done a race before. That was my first race, a triathlon in uh, 2007, the LA triathlon. And uh, 
I, I finished that race and I, I, the running part of it was obviously my favorite. And that was where the whole marathon goddess pose was born. When I crossed that finish line, my, my arms just flew up in the air because I thought, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Or just naturally they flew up to the sun and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I was hooked. (laughs) I'm like, let's do that again. (laughs) Yeah. And then you did do that again. You, uh, you, your dad said you were talking about the L.A. Roadrunners and your dad said you need to go down there and run with them. And just like any brand new person that's coming into a running group, very shy, very insecure, don't know if you're going to fit in, if people are going to accept you. So how was it for you? <sighs> It was, uh, I can remember it like it's yesterday. I showed up in like cotton sweats and socks and like weird shoes. And uh, I, you know, I, I had, no, I wasn't prepared at all, <laughs> but I'm like, I could run it. I'm going to go with the eight minute mile group. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> um, I had no idea really what I was getting myself into, but, uh, when I was done with the run, I'm like, wow, this is this is amazing. I mean, there's people that I would never imagine myself hanging out with or running with, you know, and these people that are from all walks of life. And, um, you know, some, it was just like, I felt accepted. And I came back uh, that week after week with um, the right kind of shoes and socks and shorts and uh, decided to sign up for the LA marathon with only I think it was two months to go before the race. I really only had two months training for that race. And I do not recommend anybody. (laughs) (laughs) When I, when I heard that part, I'm going, wow, she's got some ambition there. I, well, I was shy. I, I did, um, the running just completely transformed me. I came out of my, my shell. It was like all of the, fear just melted away. And I'm like, this is, I am going to, um, first I think I ran a half marathon and that's when I got the idea to do a full. So when I, when I did the half marathon, Oh, I was like, well, if I can do, you know, half what's stopping me from running a full 26.2 mile marathon. So that's when I signed up. And, um, I believe on that, on that train uh, to the starting line or wherever it was, I was telling people, remember my name. I'm going to qualify for Boston. I might even win this marathon. I was so excited. (laughs) No clue. Completely like just delusional, (laughs) but not quite because, you know, some things did occur, not in the way that I thought they would, but uh, I was so excited and uh, just a little, you know, kind of a fantasy, but I was excited. I'm like, this is, this is it. And, um, but you know, we all know what happened when you go out too fast and get too excited, right? Oh, you got to deal with pain and, (laughs) and mental crushing and highs and lows and the wall. And, you know, why is my body doing this? And, you know, all that stuff that, that happens during a marathon that people don't realize, but you still pulled out a 440 on your first marathon. Oh my gosh. You're so good. You did your research. Uh, yeah, I did. And, uh, I was kind of, uh, shall we say disappointed because I thought I was going to at least break four hours on my first marathon or, you know, having heard of learning about the Boston marathon, I'm like, I'm going to qualify. I was just, uh, 
totally over enthusiastic about the whole thing. And, you know, so I, I, as many runners, many of us do, we feel like we have to redeem ourselves after running a race. We're sort of disappointed with our time or whatever. And so I signed up for another race. Um, but after crossing that finish line, I, I do have to tell you, my dad was so proud of me. He didn't care what the time was or whatever. He was told all his friends. He was so, so proud of me. And I was proud of myself. And, um, and so then I signed up for another one and I, I just, I didn't know. I, I just thought the more marathons you ran, the faster you would get. Yeah. Well, that's, that time period there is when your relationship really started getting, really solid and close with your dad when you started running, because you said a lot of our conversations started turning into running, which is a real positive conversation to have. Yeah. He, he was a sports guy and he's very competitive. He, he loved to play. Um, let's see, he played football, he played tennis, racquetball. So, um, we would have, you know, this vision, this dream of that I could qualify for the Boston marathon. And, um, so we had that in common now. And, you know, it was, it was really fun to have that relationship and that connection with him on a whole new, on a whole new level. He was no longer criticizing me. And I was, you know, uh, I was starting to shine again, you know, it was like, this, okay. You know, really just, um, very proud of the accomplishment. So I kept signing up for more marathons because that's, it was my new addiction and that was a good, healthy addiction. So and good people up. that you were around, positive people that had like-minded goals like you had, you know. Exactly, exactly. And all these people from different walks of life, like I said, like I found myself really good friends with an investment banker. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never even imagined I would be hanging out with you know, this whole new crowd. And, uh, yet, you know, still, still, um, it was just life on a new level, you know, it was a, a higher level and it felt so good. It felt so good. Um, but, you know, still maintaining friendships with my old friends and my ex-husband, um, which is a wonderful thing. He even came out to my first marathon. Yeah. <laughs> He was there at like mile 18 and did not recognize me because <laughs> yeah. he thought I looked like I was 90 years old, hunched over, <laughs> totally out of glycogen. And uh, he's like, wait, is that Julie? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I remember reading that. You know, <laughs> you, you said something in your in your book that really that really hit me. And it's true. If you've been in in running and you're passionate about running, like you and myself and several other people are. And what it said was for some people, running was a part of their life. For me, running became my entire life. That is true. That is true. It's like, so what do you do? What what else do you like? It's like, well, no, running is my life. No, seriously. That's, that's what I do. I mean, I, I love running. That's, that's, that my whole life was uh, based around running and it, it really has kind of intertwined into every single facet of my life. And it's improved in my, my relationships and even my husband, we met running, you know, so. And I want to get into your husband right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I met him. So running is my life. And, um, let's talk about that. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because David, um, you wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon and you wanted a coach and being part of the LA runners, 
he was he was kind of the guy. He was the the coach of the coaches out there at the time. Right. The legend. And he uh, he wasn't interested in coach in coaching you. That's right. I mean, whenever I wanted to talk to him, he always had like a group of runners around him. So I could never get to him even to ask him a few questions. And I, I knew he he was the coach of the L.A. Running Club. So he coached the Wednesday night track workout. I'm like, OK, um, you know, I wanted a schedule to train and qualify for Boston. And, and when I reached out to him via email, he was like, I'm sorry. No, I'm too busy. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, but okay. So I guess, you know, knowing he was the coach of the, the track workout. I thought I would show up at track and, um, you know, get a, a workout in and, and see if I could talk to him that way somehow. And, uh, um, <laughs> well, there was something in between that, that kind of well. <laughs> started it though, was the, uh, council meeting that you went to, to, uh, uh, kind of fight for the LA marathon and the changes that they were trying to make. And after that, you know, you did such a great job that that's when he seemed to have recognized you. Oh, yeah, that's right. When we were um, the proposed course change from the stadium to the sea for L.A. And I, I thought this was like the dream come true, this new course. It was incredible that um, I I had been asked to go speak on behalf of the runners. And, and so I, I guess David was like impressed with my speech or whatever, even though I, I was so nervous. It was my first speech ever, but I got up there and I was like, you know, I've run 10 marathons and, and I have to say the LA marathon, <laughs> the course could be improved. This would be amazing. You know, all of everything I said to help get that course changed. And after I spoke and we, there was a crowd of us in the parking lot and David was there and he, he came up and we were talking and uh, we just seemed to keep talking and talking. I mean, we were there for hours just talking about it and we sort of had this connection and, and, and that was pretty cool how that came about. And, uh, and I think it was then that I went to the track workout to see, um, to meet him up again. And, and that, like I said, that didn't go very well because I was not, um, I did all my training. I did all my racing um, and training at race pace. I really had no idea about, you know, slowing down and getting your base in and all of that. So when, when we did that track workout, I, I nearly lost it. And, you know, <laughs> after, <laughs> after a, a few rounds there, it wasn't, wasn't pretty. And I was trying to impress him, but I think, um, he came around though. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, uh, he finally did give me that Boston marathon, training schedule and we went on a run and he was so sweet and really paying attention to my breathing and asking me questions, making sure, you know, really, really, um, really a great guy. And I was, I was like, wow, <laughs> what a nice guy. This is new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely different than the past relationships that you had as far as personality yeah. and all that. Yeah. But we could still give David a tattoo, right? Could still give him that skull and bone tattoo somewhere on there. Yeah. So he got you, by the way, to, um, you ran the Long Beach, or was it the LA Marathon uh, that you almost qualified for the Boston Marathon? And you really wanted to tell your dad, hey, I qualified, and you missed it by just under three minutes or something like that. You're right. It was, um, it was, the Long Beach Marathon, in fact, and it was October 17th, 
2010. And I was, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I was in good shape. And had I not stopped to hug Rod Dixon at mile six, I think it was. And then again, stopped to hug David at mile 20 or so, I might've made it, but, uh, I, I did, um, run a 3:52 that day. Um, you know, I just missed Boston by, by two minutes and change probably. And <laughs> it's not their fault. I didn't have to stop, <laughs> Right. but it was like a, you know, like a 25 minute PR. I had never broken four hours before and it was so close. I was disappointed. Um, you know, I called my dad. I'm like, I don't, Cause I would call my dad after every single race, no matter what my time was. And he was always like, doesn't matter, Julie, I'm so proud of you. You're going to do it next time. I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. And you broke four hours. So, you know, it's all good. And I'm like, <sighs> you know, so I was disappointed, but um, not nearly as devastated as I would be the next day because my mom had called me the next day, the very next day that, to tell me um, the news that my dad had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and that there was nothing the doctors could do. And I was like, oh my God, um, just so helpless. And also just like, couldn't believe it and refused to accept that. And I told my dad, I was like, you're going to beat it. Don't worry. You're going to beat it. And I'm going to qualify for Boston and you're going to come to that race where I qualify and we're going to do it together. Your book, <sighs> chapter seven, um, for those that are listening, please pick up uh, the book. The book's name, by the way, is The Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess. And it's an amazing book. And I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But chapter seven ripped me apart. You're the emotion that you put into that chapter, I could feel it. And you're, you, in the audio book, you're the, you, you were the one that, uh, narrated the, uh, book and, you know, I could feel it in your voice. And, um, I just can't imagine the devastation that you went through when you found out the news. It was, it was heart wrenching. You know, I'd finally, finally developed this wonderful relationship with my dad and they told me they told us about this cancer which I knew nothing about and I thought you know all I knew was that you know you don't survive mostly most of the time from this cancer but um you know I kept my dad um I I gave him hope and uh he said Julie don't do anything different on account of me, just keep training, just keep going to work, just keep doing what you're doing and don't stop because of me. And I, I said, okay, but here's this diet. And if you do this and you do that, you know, you're gonna, you, you know, you can beat it. And I would stay by his bedside and I would run um, from around the house in, in Chevy Hills where, where, my, where my parents lived and I would cry and I would train and I would be crying and it would, and it was just so sad, you know, watching him, you know, his body just kind of waste away and um, knowing that he would never be able to go see the ocean again and like ride his bike. And he loved that. Um, it's just heartbreaking. Um, but I kept on training, like he said, 
And sadly, just 35 days after his diagnosis, uh, he passed away. 35 days. And I had that race coming up in Sacramento. <sighs> yeah, December, or November 24th is when he passed away. And December 5th was your California International Marathon. And, uh, and you went and you did it. And you qualified for Boston. Yeah, and I didn't do it alone. No. It was the wind in my back. He had the best seat in the house. He was in my heart. When I crossed that finish line, I was pointing to him in heaven. And I knew that that we had, I'm getting chills, <laughs> that we did that race together. And to date, like the fastest race of my life. I ran a 347.19. <laughs> and I've tried to come close to that. And I haven't even still 10 years later come close to that, but there's still hope. <laughs> well, it's it's just apparent how that, that period of time was so devastating to you. And it also propelled you after you qualified for Boston to take your running and do something with it and, and really dedicate your running life to raising funds to find a cure for pancreatic cancer. Yes. That's right. After I crossed that, and thank you. After I crossed that finish line and qualified for Boston, I knew that there, I had more work to do. I said, there, there's got to be more. In fact, um, I, I ran Boston uh, that April with the charity and uh, Dana Farber, actually. And uh, that was that was fantastic, a wonderful experience. And I actually came in under four hours at Boston that day, um, right under four hours, <laughs> knew my dad would have been proud of that. And, uh, and it was after that, that I was like, I'd raised $10,000 for that race. And I'm like, okay, I've got to do more. And I went to a, uh, you know, I, I became aware of the uh, pancreatic cancer action network and they had some, you know, team hope they had a running club at the time. And, and I went to their gala and I, I saw them raise a million dollars in one night. And I'm like, I woke up the next morning and I had this crazy half-baked idea, whatever you want to call it. But I was like, I'm going to run 52 marathons in 52 weeks. And I'm going to raise a million dollars to help cure can pancreatic cancer. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. If I have to quit my job, if I have to move in back in with my mom, I don't know. But whatever it takes. I am going to do this because it was just, it was this crazy inspired idea. I had only seen them. Um, one person never do it before. And it's Dane Rauschenberg, I believe. Um, I saw him do that. And I was like, wait, I could probably do that because I knew my body recovered fairly quickly from, from running marathons. I had, I'd done like 12 in one year before, which is a lot. And, uh, um, so yeah, I just, uh, what did I do? I, I think I called Bart Yasso. I'm like, do you think I could do this? I called David, of course, David first. And then Bart, Bart's like, yes, you can, but you need to start at a big race and you need to finish at a big race. And it's just, everything started coming together. It was incredible. Well, you know, Bart's a, just an awesome guy. He's a good Love friend. Bart. And I, I interviewed him too. He's, he's such a positive guy and anybody who wants to try anything in their life with running should talk to Bart first because that's going to catapult you into doing it. And <laughs> your now husband, David, he was really instrumental in, 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 uh, this idea that you had in your head and yeah. this idea kind of, uh, developed into 
a meeting uh, for a movie that actually was the kickoff for your 52 and 52, Spirit of the Marathon 2. I love that story, by the way, at the Lowe's Hotel. (laughs) Can you tell us uh, how that came about? Because I really think that was a big part of it all starting off for you. Oh, that was, uh, yeah. So David, at the time, was coaching the producer, uh, Gwendolyn Twist, of the Spirit of the Marathon and had told us that they're looking for runners to for their new movie and that she was interested in talking to me about, you know, what I was about to do. And I'm like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no, I'm serious, Julie. They want to meet you. So I'm like, Gwendolyn T- Twist and John Dunham, two very talented producers, director. And uh, they said, okay, we're going to meet you at uh, Santa Monica Lowe's Hotel, six o'clock, whatever. I'm like, okay. So I was so nervous. And I, you know, I had a drink when I got there um, and they were having a drink. So then I had another one because I wanted to have what they were having. And I um, don't, I'm not a very good drinker, <laughs> very <laughs> lightweight for sure. But I I don't remember really what they asked me. And I, when I got home, because I had like two drinks, I think, or David picked me up. I was like, David, I totally bombed that interview. They are not going to call me. There is no way they are going to call me. I was yeah, I mean, there were these pink, pretty drinks, and I just thought, okay, let's, you know. And I, <laughs> I was so embarrassed, and I was so bummed because I thought I completely bombed that interview. But uh, lo and behold, um, they called me back. <laughs> they called you back, and the rest is history with the movie. <laughs> and we did the Rome, the Maratona de Roma became marathon number one of 52. And when I was done, I was one down and 51 more to go and had no idea what I was about to get myself into. <laughs> yeah, and, and before the, the movie, you actually um, you actually went to an organization and I don't recall it right now, but you asked them to, for help, for funds to be able to do this, what you were going to do. And you knocked it out of the park from what it Yeah, and I don't know why I was so nervous to do that. I basically was... Because I've never done anything like this in my in my life, you know. But but I walked in there and I said to them, you know, I I want to do this. I want to raise a million dollars for your charity. I'm going to run 52 marathons, and um, you know, would you would you help sponsor it somehow? And you know, I'll, I, I it was really a win win situation um, because I was bringing in some money as well for the travel and all of that. So. I really, uh, you know, it went very well. I had all my spreadsheets in Excel. I did everything like all fancy and, you know, made a, a proposal look amazing. But, you know, looking back, it's like the truth of the matter is, it's like that was a win-win for everyone. You know, right. this girl coming in, she wants to do something totally crazy, but she wants to raise a lot of funds to help us cure this disease. And and um, they were on board. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't they be? You know, it was an incredible um, uh, partnership relationship we had there. You know, their national charity um, helping to cure pancreatic cancer all over the country, even the world. So uh, they were very, very supportive uh, at the time. The Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. So yeah, great well, that that was a great start to it, and then and then you started your fifty-two. You did the Rome, and then. 
but but one other interesting fact that you mentioned in your book, first of all, you you because of your accounting and all that, you love spreadsheets. And apparently, from what you said in your book, you had your whole 52 marathons planned out in one night in three and a half hours by going to marathonguide.com. That's that is correct. I was so inspired and I was like a kid in the candy store, seriously, picking all the races that I wanted to run first, like all the ones in Hawaii. Of course. <laughs> All the downhill ones, but there wasn't many downhill races at that time. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there was just a couple of weekends where like Leadville was the only one I could run. And I was like, oh, OK, I guess, you know, so I put that one on, <laughs> on my on my calendar and there was no other ones that I could find. Um uh, Leadville and um, there was some other um, interesting one that was run at midnight. Full Moon Midnight Marathon um, thing, <laughs> but yeah, I had my schedule ready to go. I was I was excited. I was excited. I really had no idea how it was going to go, but uh, we, um, yeah, that came about rather quickly. <laughs> it did, and and so you as you're going through the 52 marathons, what uh, you go through a lot of it in your book, and you know you go through some high points and low points, and. You know, David was with you most of the time uh, at most of the races and he helped you and tried to keep you to slowing down, saying it doesn't matter what time you finish. You just need to finish. It doesn't it's not about time. It's about what the cause is out there. Um, so it must have been pretty exciting, the first part of doing these races. But t just tell me kind of how your your feelings were, say, after the first three, four months? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Truthfully, um, the first three or four marathons, um, I was sort of concerned about the time. You know, I really did wanted to break five hours for all of them. But, you know, I quickly realized that, no, that's not going to happen. My body was in shock and um, I was exhausted. Uh, but I got to about the fifth marathon in Colorado. Um, and it was a small marathon and I, I, I finished that marathon and I know it was challenging and I was exhausted and I was, I was getting sort of short with David and we've just kind of, you know, we're, it was hard because getting to the airport, working full time, you know, leaving my job, rushing to the airport and, trying to make our planes on time and finally getting to the start line, you know, once you're running, finally, <laughs> that's the easy part, right? <laughs> but uh, it was hard. And I finished that marathon though. And uh, I realized that, you know, this isn't about the marathons. This well, you went, you went in a little bit more detail on that Colorado one. You went <laughs> into the throwing the luggage down the stairs because David was late to get you to the airport and you just made right. the flight. <laughs> And, and then when you got to the start line, it was, it, you thought it started at seven and it started at six 30. So you started 15 minutes late. I did. That's right. That's right. It was, it was, uh, that was a tough one. And, um, I, you know, I didn't know this part of me, you know, I, I saw that I was able to do these marathons, but, you know, getting so exhausted to the point where, you know, 
I'm not even being nice to the person who like loves me the most right now, David, he's so supportive and amazing. And I'm, you know, snapping at him and, um, it was, uh, it was a very challenging time for both of us. You well, know, you, but, you know, you were fatigued and you have a, had a job and, you know, yeah, I'm sure you were concerned about your job. Your boss was very supportive of you, but you still had to yeah. perform. Yeah, it was, it was, a it was challenging for sure. But, um, when I did finish that marathon, something changed. Um, it was when I wanted to start, um, really, really meeting people with this disease and helping them and connect it, connect with them. And I wanted to start running for them or I wanted them to run with me. And I, I thought, you know, this is what it's about. Um, these people and helping these people, this is not about the marathons. This is about them. And I want to hear their stories and I want to run with them and I want to meet their families. And, and uh, so I started reaching out to these people in the, in the community and they, they started reaching out to me and I just got like flooded all of a sudden with these emails because we started to pick up a little press and, you know, it's almost like I couldn't keep up with them, but it was a beautiful thing. And I just tried to respond to everybody and, and, and start dedicating these races to people who are affected by the disease and sometimes even running with them. And that took on a whole new meeting. And it was just like, okay, and then I'm running out there and I'm thinking about the person I'm running for, you know, I'm not in pain anymore. This is way bigger than me. You know, this is, you were building a community out there. Yeah. And it gave me wings, you know, I just like started and the, on the physical level also, I mean, you know, I started to get stronger, truthfully, after, uh, you know, after my body was initially in shock, uh, I started, you know, I slowed down and, and my body started getting stronger and stronger. And like by mile 18, I would finally, I don't know, I was like passing out um, electrolytes to people, you know, and people with all this energy and people hated me. <laughs> like, why did she have so much energy? <laughs> Does, does David still have those little magic pills that uh, you, you mentioned in your yeah, book? Electrolytes, yeah, the uh, the salt mineral tabs, yeah. yeah, salt sticks, all that stuff. I never got a cramp, believe it or not. Fifty-two marathons. Um, I don't know what what it was. I I, I know there's other things now that um, can stop you from cramping, but those uh, really helped me. I thought a really interesting marathon that you did or were going to do. And how it all worked out was the New York City Marathon that was canceled that year. And you got out there and you were ready to go and then they canceled it and you had to figure out a marathon and you ended up coming back to California to Santa Clarita. Uh, the race director, Patrick Downing, was just so accommodating to you. Oh, and Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, that was that was very dramatic, very dramatic story, you know, getting to New York and that whole week sort of, I had just left Marine Corps when Superstorm Sandy was behind us, got back to LA and the storm is just, you know, barreling down on the East coast. And, you know, knowing I had a marathon coming up, there was, uh, it was hard to, I didn't know if I was going to do it or not. And here comes my beautiful granddaughter. All right. Hi. This is Amelia. She loves to run. Hi, Amelia. How are you again? I, you're, you're awesome. She is. And she's super fast. She's like a really fast runner. Well, see, she, might, she might even win the New York City Marathon one day. Grandma needs a trainer. <laughs> but let me tell you quickly about that. Um, yes. Um, we got there. 
we heard the news, the marathon was canceled. And I was like, inside, I was sort of grateful they'd canceled it because I felt terrible, you know, taking these generators that people of New York desperately needed and they were saving them for the runners and all of that guilt. Um, but I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Uh, we had all this press set up. Um, I had, how am I going to keep the streak alive? What am I going to do? You know, I called my friends and like, oh my gosh, the Santa Clarita Marathon is happening this weekend. So we got the next flight. Um, the first flight out in the morning, um, we got to Santa Clarita. We had um, somehow the news picked up on this story and they were following me through it all. Uh, we got to the expo on Saturday. The race director was there. So, so kind. Um, we got our, we got the bib. I was exhausted, so fatigued. And I, um, you know, it was quite a difference. 50,000 people to, you know, a race that's just 500. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I finished that race. There was some drama that went on in that race as well. I ended up running 28 miles because one of my friends said she was so tired and wanted to quit and I didn't want her to quit, but. I had to run back and try to help her, but I couldn't find her and all this drama. But I did end up finishing the race that day and we did keep the streak alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you, you came up with creative ways to keep the streak alive. Now, in in the period of time you were doing the 52, I believe that David proposed to you one, uh, once the first time. And this was in Chicago and it's such a nice little story about oh, at the Drake yeah. Hotel. In the Grand Ballroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that was after the Chicago Marathon. That was not, um, that was before the um, 52 started, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was before the 52 started. And and uh, he had this dream of proposing to me in the Grand Ballroom of the Drake Drake Hotel. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, we had just, I had finished that marathon and we had a, a few drinks and it was magical and we danced around the ballroom and we you know this big grand ballroom and um we were engaged and it was it was uh, such a happy happy moment and um and then I decided to do 52 marathons in 52 weeks well you know <laughs> they say in relationships that uh you know you really start knowing somebody when you travel together and do all that well I guess you went to the extreme I did. And that's sort of my personality. You know, I like to do, I go big or go bigger. Go big or go bigger. And uh, so as you were, as you were going along on the 52, I mean, you were getting closer and closer to the finish. And uh, I I am going to ask you about uh, a couple of the memories that you had, but one that was a kind of a tough period of time that and was it even in Hawaii? It was at the Honolulu oh. Marathon. That was a real tough one for you and and for David. And uh, I think even you reached out to Bart Yasso and he said, hey, no matter how bad you feel after a marathon in Hawaii, <laughs> you're still in paradise. Exactly. When you finish, you're in Hawaii. So <laughs> I, I know that Honolulu Marathon and I know that it's, uh, it's a nice marathon until you uh, get up over um, you know, that hill and, and then it's like a, just a back and forth death march. And if you're not yeah. in a great, great frame of mind at that time, that's a tough race. Yeah. David and I, um, we're having some, some challenges, some issues and he, um, and you know, rightfully so he, 
he his points were valid. He was so supportive and wonderful. And maybe I wasn't as appreciative or grateful as I could have been or kind uh, looking back. And uh, so, you know, he had had enough with me. And I was like, really? You know, do this like uh, an hour before my marathon, <laughs> you know, and it was it was a tough marathon. And, it, you know, I'm always smiling and I didn't really, really smile very much in that race. But um, I was thinking about Kurt. Curtis Wada, the man I was running for that day. Mm -hmm. And um, he was a really cool guy, kind of a rocker. And I was like playing Rage Against the Machine as I was running. And I'm like, all right, Kurt, you know, it doesn't always go according to plan. Obviously, um, sadly, you know, he he passed away at such a young age. I think he was in his 40s or so so young, such a beautiful man that I ran for. And, um, you know, so that helped me. He helped me. And uh, David and I, um, yeah, I mean, we, we reconciled and got, he's, he's so patient and wonderful. David is just like the kindest guy you'll ever meet really is a kind, patient man. And I'll put him on in just a few minutes. If you'd like to talk to him more, he's here. And I, um, you know, as we went on, I, I met more, more and more wonderful people, um, through this community of running and pancreatic cancer. My dear friend, Lupe Romero de la Cruz, who I, uh, was a six time pancreatic cancer survivor at the time. She actually, um, I think seven, she beat it seven times. Um, and she, just the people I ran for. And then there was Paul, I'm looking at a picture that we crossed the finish line together. And, uh, you know, and, and there's some, a lot of survivors out there too, that I, that I met that I even inspired them to start running. And, um, you know, just beautiful people that I met along the way in this journey. And I'm grateful that uh, I got to um, meet them all. And we, we've we inspired each other. And I'm grateful for all of the support and love that they've given me. And especially um, David. <laughs> if, if, there, if there is one or two memories from the 52 marathons that you did during that period of time, that really stick out with you and you think about even to this day, what would they be? Uh, well, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Lupe, Lupe Ramiro de la Cruz. She was like my soul sister um, meeting her at mile 25, like six weeks after she had had her Whipple surgery done. So she had beaten pancreatic cancer. She is a 10 time or maybe 12 time marathoner. She'd get mad if I didn't. <laughs> right. Um, but she was able to cross the finish line and we crossed that finish line together. And it was so beautiful, um, this relationship that we had developed. But being able to cross my um, the 52nd marathon with her was incredible. Um, gosh, there's so many other experiences that uh, I mean, some funny ones like <laughs> like at the um, the full moon midnight marathon at mile 18, that marathon that started at midnight and I get to mile 18 it's like four in the morning and I'm seeing lights and I'm like this is it the aliens are coming to get me. <laughs> uh, area 51 you know and I see all these lights and I'm like oh my god okay just take me away and it turns out it was David he ran out to meet me and run me in so you're saying <laughs> David's an alien yeah exactly it was David's <laughs> alien <laughs> and um wow uh I love the Maui Marathon. I love running <laughs> so close. That shirt you're wearing, that marathon. I, mm -hmm. I, 
was able to jump in the water like mile. I don't know. I went into like splash water on my face because you're right by the ocean. And I ended up getting my shoes wet. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to jump in. <laughs> I ran that marathon that year too. Yeah. So I, you know, jumping into the ocean during yeah. a marathon, I did it a couple of times. I didn't get blisters either. So, um, that was an incredible experience. Um, the Leadville marathon, you know, finally figuring out where the term zombie runners come from. Um, seeing, you know, these, uh, warriors out there on the, on, uh, running up a mountain, this, this Leadville marathon started at 10,000 feet, mm-hmm. went up to 13,000 feet. And, uh, somehow I was able to, to do that one, uh, with, uh, you know, not, not too much trouble. It took me a long time, like almost, I don't know, seven and a half, seven forty five. It took me a long time, but I beat all the, at least I got to the aid stations on time and all that. And I got my plane home. I didn't get to shower. That's not, that's unfortunate for the people I was sitting next to on the plane. <laughs> wow. If you're listening and you were sitting next to her on the plane, send me an email <laughs> so I, I can hear what your experience was like. um it was just some funny experiences some beautiful ones and uh it it was just what a year wow really really incredible um grateful for all the money we raised uh getting another donation coming in in uh january so that'll bring us to over seven hundred thousand dollars currently running for the hirschberg foundation for pancreatic cancer research uh who is an official charity for the la marathon and uh when i run that next year whenever it may be. Um, that'll be my 110th marathon. And, um, right. After you're 52, you know, you, you went that, that was, you know, seven years ago when you finished that. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, And you had another goal after that because you, you finished it. And as with, we all do in, in marathons when we're training and training, you know, all the, all, it all goes away. All the energy goes away and you have to revitalize yourself or you go into a depression. I do. I have to recreate something. But you wanted to do, you want to do another 52 before 2020 and you accomplished that. (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, that was much harder being, you know, older now and a grandma that wasn't quite as, you know, it, it was harder, truthfully. And they weren't all marathons, but, um, that's okay. You know, it's, it was all about, my, my purpose and my passion, you know, pancreatic cancer still needs a cure. And so, and I can run. So, you know, put the the passion and the purpose together and then you have magic and that's where the miracles come from. That's one of my quotes, uh, that, that I I've always said is, um, that's where the miracles happen. When you do something that you love for someone you love, that's where the miracles happen. And Running was what I loved. I did it for my dad. And and look what we've done, you know, $700,000. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think you, you told me last week when we were together that um, the survival rate was 5% when you started and now it's 10 is, was, am I correct in that? That's right. You know, it's doubled since I started running. It's still dismal. It's, you know, 10%. Yeah for um, mortality right after five years, but I am seeing more and more survivors all the time. You know, I, 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 I lost some friends along the way. Sadly, Lupe, love you. Um, a lot I, I've lost, but um, there are a lot of survivors still out there and they're rocking it. So, you know, you can beat this thing and there's, there's more and more treatment out there, but uh, they, they need all the support they could get. 
obviously, um, cancer never takes a day off. Okay. So the pandemic has sort of, it's sort of, you know, obviously we need cures for all of it, but uh, they've been struggling with donations. So it's important to keep that going because these people are still battling these, this disease. And I, I want to be able to help any way I can. So uh, I'm not sure what's next on the horizon, but I'll keep raising money for them. I'll keep, keep running. And, uh, you know, until we have a cure, even maybe well past a million dollars because I'm still going for that. Well, you're still going <laughs> strong and you're well on your way. You're almost three quarters of yeah. the way to the million dollar goal, yeah. you know, yeah. and we'll definitely put in the show notes, your links and, you know, yeah. people want to donate, they can go in and donate. I know it's a, you know, it's a fight right now with donations, with the pandemic and what people are going through, but you know, there's still people that want to give and help and, right. you know, I, I, um, yeah. So, so if you would be, I think you'll put the links up to, to share with the Hirschberg Foundation. There's mm -hmm. the Project Purple. There's the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Whatever you can do, whatever speaks to your heart, um, uh, check it out. I'm grateful for every dollar we raised. Uh, they all mean so much and they, they all count. Um, I wanted to see if you had a moment to bring in David, because one thing yeah. we lost. We left out, you might want to ask him about, was a hilarious story where he did propose to me at the L.A. Marathon. <laughs> I know that story. Yes, I would like to ask him. He it better than anyone else. So I, I'll bring him in for that. You got to stick around for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let me ask you one more question and then you can bring in David. Uh, well, two, two things. One, um, chapter 22 was pretty powerful in your book, too, because you gave advice for those that want to change their lives. And maybe you could just say just a couple words on people that are listening out there, maybe just started running or maybe they don't run and they're thinking about running or they're running and they're starting to lose their enthusiasm because of the pandemic. What, what would be yeah. some of the things you could tell them to keep them? Well, that, that's a great question. And, and, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, it's been very challenging, but I, I suggest, you know, obviously getting out of the door, taking that first step is the most important thing because once you're out there, you're out there and just go for 30 minutes and don't, whatever you're doing, walking, running, riding, but go for 30 minutes and go, don't go too fast, go slow. Otherwise, you know, you want to keep it fun um, if you go too fast, a lot of runners make the mistake of going out too fast and they're like, I hate running, but no, it's not that. It's just that they go out too fast and it, it's hard. So you want to keep it really easy in the beginning, make it fun, go out with your dog, play some music safely and, you know, just, just push yourself out the door, uh, truthfully, once you're out there or once you, even if you're inside doing your, your workout, just get your butt on that bike or turn on that video, whatever it is, and just start just even if it's 10 minutes, truthfully, you know, and then the momentum will carry you through and it'll become a habit. And pretty soon you'll be doing that and you'll find yourself feeling better and happier. It's really important to keep your, keep yourself fit and healthy and mind, body, spirit right now. Meditation is also very, very helpful for me. I do that every day. Um, and also, I think I, I just put a post up yesterday from that chapter about, you know, that negative self-talk. Right. Something we really, really would benefit on working on. So if that, that 
negative voice ever, you know, it comes in and says you're not good enough or you can't do it, you know, just tell that voice to cut it out. Not today, not now. And instead, go for a run or get on your bicycle or something, do something, but tell that voice to cut it out because you have the power to stop that voice from whatever it is um, and replace it with something positive. And it's not always easy to do, but it's again, a habit. So if you can catch yourself and stop yourself from going down that road and look in the mirror and stop and see that outstanding person that you are, uh, you'll be in a, a more positive space. Absolutely. I, I agree with that so much. And, you know, it's, uh, you, you just have to get out there and get it done. Like this morning when I had to run out there in 18, 19 degree temperatures, took a lot to get out of bed to go do that. Yeah, but you I'll do bet. it and you feel good afterwards. You might not feel warm, but you feel good. And uh, you, you've accomplished something and it's helped you mentally and it, it makes you feel better about yourself and makes you feel you can do things. And, you know, read Julie's book because, you know, Julie came from a area of not doing that stuff. And so she found running and it yeah. changed her entire life. It gave her life a purpose. And then with the events of her father, it even gave her life a bigger purpose. It's just so much bigger than just running and you make running fun and you make people feel good when you run and you make people laugh and smile. And it's, uh, it's just a joy on what, what you do. And you even wrote a children's book. You got, yeah. uh, we got this. That was your slogan. We got this. We got this. The story of the marathon goddess. Um, what, what other quote I, I love to, um, I forgot it's escaping me who wrote it, but, but remember you're, you're never too old or too young to, to set a new goal or dream a new dream. Okay. I was, I was 37 when I started running, I was overweight. I had never run before in high school or anything like that, you know, and I was not a professional runner or anything like that. So you can do anything you put your mind to, right, Millie? Okay. All right. On that happy note, I'm going to go get David. Get for David, you. get, bring him okay. in here. I want to go get David. You, you wanted to hear the story about Julie's um, at my asking her to marry her. She gave you a she gave you a hint in L.A. when she was going to finish the marathon, having a great time. But also it would be really cool if you proposed to me at the finish line. Um, well, it, she she actually wrote the last chapter of the book, which never really got in the book. And she she said, I want you to read this. And this is way I, the way I want the book to end. And the, the chapter, which she wrote was the last chapter, or presumably would have been. It, we didn't really use it. But at any rate, and it ended with, and I asked her to marry her. And that was the end. And the end. And I thought, oh, no, she wants me to marry her. This, I mean, she wants me to ask her to marry her. And how the hell am I going to do this? How, I mean, it was something we had talked about, obviously, but <clears throat> how am I going to pull this one off? Because the marathon was coming up, if I recall correctly, in like two weeks or something. So I had no time and I had to think of something really quick. And um, so uh, long story short, I'm trying to remember all the particulars, but oh, oh, I remember the problem. The problem wasn't time. The problem was the L.A. Marathon 
was high security finish line. And for me to ask her to marry her at the finish line, because I didn't have a bib number, I wasn't going to run the race, meant my getting through huge security and police and probably getting arrested, if not killed, and to ask her to marry me. So I thought that was kind of a little bit of a struggle there. And um, so I had my ring on my finger and I had my group and they all had, they were on the course, everything was going fine. And I left the van with somebody and um, I ran about, God, I want to say it was about five miles to a point that was about three quarters of a mile from the finish line. And that's where they had, everything was fenced off from both sides of the street, from there to the finish line. And you, you, there were police officers standing at that point, And there were people along the route designed to keep out anybody like me who didn't have a bid number. So I, I asked the police officer, there was a young man, young woman. And I asked him, would you guys mind if I, if I, I asked, I wanted to ask my, my fiance if she, uh, my girlfriend, if she would marry me at the finish line. And the woman walked away. She just didn't want to deal with it. The young man finally said, okay, but you have to wait till she comes, which is, that was part of the plan. So, okay. They, she's like 45 minutes later, I'm standing and waiting and waiting and waiting. She finally shows up. She's running and I run with her. And there were more police officers at the time at this point, three quarters of a mile to the finish line. So I thought, all right, I'm good. But behind me, I hear this guy on a bicycle police officer say, hey, that guy didn't have a bib number. And he started to follow me on his bike. And I had this feeling like, oh, my God, I'm going to get tackled by a police officer, pummeled into the ground. They're going to arrest me with handcuffs. I'm going to get carried away. And then way behind me, I hear the young officer say, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. He wouldn't uh, and it faded out. So I thought, all right, I've survived that. Then it was kind of like night of the living dead closing in on us. There were these people with signs at big signs, like four feet by four feet signs. And they said, if you don't have a bib number, leave the course now. So I thought, oh, my God. And they're getting closer and closer. And we're running past some of them and past. And we're, you know, we're about a quarter mile from the finish line. And I see way up ahead of me, there's this woman now standing, walking in front of us as we approach, dead in the middle of the, the runway, the street, and this just absolute intense look on her face. And I couldn't really see who it was at the time because we're still approaching. And I knew this woman was standing there with the intent to and ability to pick me up and throw me over the <laughs> fence on the side of the road. That was, that was where I was going to end up bloody and broken. And wow. this was not going to be good. So I get closer and we're running closer and closer. Oh, and by the way, Julie was running with a friend of hers and me at the time. 
And I, of course, had no bib number on. And her friend had a bib number on from a different race because she was going to run Julia into the finish line. So there are the three of us. One has no bib number. One has a bib number clearly from a different race. And then there's Julie. I thought we were all going to die. <laughs> and I, we approached this woman and I can see now her face and I can see her intention is to kill me. And I look closer and closer and closer and she's squinting, getting ready to attack. And she looks and she says, oh, David, uh, go ahead. And I thought, oh, my God. And I knew this woman. It was that easy. It was, yeah, it, <laughs> it ended up being that easy. It was someone who I knew from the world of triathlon. So we crossed the finish line. And we hear the the people from up above commenting on us approaching because Julie knew both of them in the stand that were the announcers. So fortunately, that they kind of saved our our butts because there were police at the finish line who could have arrested me and killed me and you know taken me to jail. And uh, that that was there. I knelt down on one knee. And said, I, I have something to ask you. And she's looking at me, not sure what the hell is going on. I'm not sure if she knew or whatever. Or remembered. Or remembered. And I sense to the side of my head a giant object approaching. And I really just didn't want to look. And the other thing that I sensed was there was a, you know, you don't ever, ever want to ask somebody to marry you on one knee on a street because there are pebbles on streets. And at this point in my life, there was a pebble lodged hmm. underneath my, my kneecap because I was wearing shorts. At least I looked the part of a runner. So I'm in severe pain and there's something huge to the left side of me that I'm ignoring because I have a feeling it's probably the Channel 5 evening news camera filming the whole thing. And I'm about to become a spectacle and the police will show up at my home and arrest me and take me away, whatever. So I finish asking her, her to marry me and we stand up and we hug and we kiss and Thank God in front of the planet, she said yes, because yes, indeed, it was Channel 5 Evening News. And you can see it online, still on YouTube or the website somewhere. If you Google something like trainer asks goddess to marry or something like that, for some reason, they thought I was a trainer and not a coach. I'm not sure why. But at any rate... It is actually still out there online somewhere, and you can see this whole thing evolve. Thanks for cueing me in on that, because I'm going to find it and put a link in the show <laughs> notes to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's pretty bizarre. Um, but yeah, there you go. And I, I think, you know, there was nothing going on. So, of course, something happening, us, and they started filming. And that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Congratulations on that. That, you know, second time's a charm. I guess if you can get through 52 marathons in 52 weeks and go through all the ups and downs that you all did during that period of time, 
I mean, that pretty much cemented and embedded your uh, your relationship for life. <laughs> going through that hell, I, I think my my car at the time was actually on autopilot. Where every Friday we would just go right to the airport. It was crazy. Yeah, wow. Those were crazy times. Or or uh, to um, some local race, of course. A lot of them were local area races. Well, I, you know, I give you both a lot of credit for doing that because it's not easy. It's hard enough to do the marathons, but then to do all the planning and the traveling and the oh, hotels God. and getting done and getting back and getting on a plane and getting back so you can be at work on Monday. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that was, that was, that was, that wasn't, that wasn't 52 marathons. That was 52 ultras. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to do a weekend away, but it's another to do a bunch of weekends away. Yeah. Yeah. That was really crazy. Took us uh, like years to pay for it. I mean, it's, but it was, it was a great thing. It was, it was a great thing. I'm glad we did it. Well, it's, uh, you know, the book was, book was really good. It was very well written. Um, And I I listened a lot to the audio and she did a wonderful job. She should go into, Reading, she's got uh, reading, yeah, great voice. She could do audio books and all of that. I mean, it's a it yeah. Was, I, I've told her that she could be a great spokesperson or a voice. Oh, yeah, all of that. Well, she definitely has the voice for it. That's for sure. Well, David, thank you for coming on and and sharing your story of how you proposed to Julie. And I'm glad that you were safe when you did it and didn't get beat up or thrown over a rail or arrested. Um, So could you get uh, Julie for me? And I want to wrap up the podcast here. I have a few final things I'd like to ask her. I go through all this. Okay. And I'll bring her right back and you can edit in between. Oh, I I edit afterwards. So it's not a big deal. Oh, excellent. I'll be right back. Okay. You guys are okay. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on. I so enjoyed reading about you, learning more about you. Like I said at the beginning, all I knew was, you know, you out there raising your hand and, you know, with your purple top on and being happy. And I knew you were doing this for uh, a cause. But uh, to hear your whole story was just amazing and 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 I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, sharing a lot of your your journey with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope that my story can um, inspire other people to do things that they would love to do, things that make them happy, and things that make them shine, and yeah. and do something that um, you love, and do something for someone that you love as well, and then you will see. The miracles happen. Well, the miracles certainly happen with you and what you have accomplished. So keep doing what you're doing and keep the fire, keep moving forward. Thank you. Keep the faith and know if I can do what I, you know, if I can do it, so can you, you know, I, I came from, um, you know, a, a very, um, relatable upbringing, I think. So if, if ever you have doubts about, um, thinking that you, you're not sure if you can do it, just remember that you can, because if I can, so can you. I was not a professional runner or anything like that. Right, Amelia? 
Mm -hmm. And so just know that you already have everything it takes to go for it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Julie. (laughs) Thank you so much. We got this. We got this. Okay. Well, there you go, runners. I I really enjoyed that conversation with Julie. And she's such an amazing woman and the accomplishments that she has brought to the running community and for the awareness that she's brought to pancreatic cancer is amazing. She's already raised over $700,000. Remarkable. Julie's story should be an inspiration to all runners and those that are even thinking about running. Look where she came from and what she's done. And as she said, if she can do it, so can you. So if you would like to donate to the Hirschberg Foundation for the cure for pancreatic cancer, there is a link in the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. And there are other links to other foundations there also. I know Julie would appreciate it. Also, if you would like to order a copy of Julie's paperback book or audio book, The Miles and Trials of a Marathon Goddess, there is also a link to that in the show notes. And I do need to mention, too, that her husband, David, he's also an author and has a book out. It's called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Marathon Training. And you can find a link to that in the show notes also at feelgoodrunning.com. And that's for this episode number 39. Now, of course, this episode would not be complete if we didn't bring you a quote. And I have two quotes from Julie that I would like to share with you on this episode. They are both inspirational quotes. And the first one is, for some people, running was a part of their life. For me, running became my entire life. I can certainly relate to that because running is my entire life. Now, the second quote I find extremely inspirational, not only for running, but for life in general. And it goes like this. When you do something you love for someone you love, that's where the miracles happen. And I want to read that one one more time because that's very near and dear to me. When you do something you love for someone you love, that's where the miracles happen ponder upon that for a while, especially during this holiday season and everything that we're going through. All right. I'd like to once again thank the marathon goddess, Julie Weiss, for coming on and and sharing her story. She's such an authentic and genuine woman. And runners, if you could please share this episode on your social media platforms and with your friends, that would be so much appreciated. It helps the show to grow. And I really think this is a nice episode to share with them, especially during the holiday season. So with that, I would like to thank you for listening. And please have a very nice holiday season, no matter what you're doing. It's a little different this year, but try to make the best of it that you can. Stay safe out there, and folks, keep running. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and on your social media platforms. To access the show notes that included all the resources and links for this episode, and to access past episodes, go to feelgoodrunning.com. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.